Godzilla made a beat, so it's go time. This week's edition of the Core 4 Podcast is hosted on the Locker Room app. Make sure you're downloading that on the App Store. And make sure you're writing five-star reviews for the Locker Room app, as well as the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. You can find every episode of the Core 4 Podcast, GBB Live, 3&D, and the Starting 5 Podcast. Wherever you can get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whatever. So you know the dingo. You know the lingo. Um... Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. With me is none other than Negative Nate Chester himself. Nate, what's up, man? You can't call me Negative Nate anymore, man. I predicted the Grizzlies were going to beat the Warriors on Friday. Um, I did not think they were going to win game one against Utah. In fact, I thought they were going to get blown out because of all the high stakes games that they had to play in such a short amount of time. But I'm the one who spoke it into existence on Friday night. You can't, you can't call me negative anymore. That's how it works. Yeah. Well, I'll let you, I'll let you have that. You know what? We'll let you have that. It's all good. But uh, real quick, before we get into like game two preview kind of stuff, uh, (laughs) just like what's a quick takeaway that you had from, Game one. Game one did not go the way that I thought it was going to go. And, you know, I went on the record and said I thought their better chance to take one in Utah was in game two just because, like I said, they were playing so many high-stakes emotional games in such a short period of time that I thought Utah was going to get the better of them. And I thought that's what was going to happen when Utah took a 13 point lead in the second quarter. But as we all saw, that was definitely not what happened. Um, The grizzly physicality clearly bothered Utah. Utah was not prepared to face that level of toughness and tenacity that the Grizzlies came to meet them with. And I've seen a lot of talk on Utah message boards and their fans on Twitter about how once our shots start falling, then we'll be fine. And Utah is going to shoot better than they did. I think they shot 12 of 45 from three, if the if my memory serves me correctly. They're going to shoot better than that, especially with Donovan Mitchell in the lineup. But the Grizzlies did a great job. And Joe Mullinax in his article today did a great job of illustrating how well the Grizzlies did close out, how well they did defend the three-point line. And here's the fact of the matter. Utah Jazz are more reliant on the three-point shot than pretty much any other team in NBA history outside of the 2018 Rockets. Those shots don't come as easy in the playoffs as they do in the regular season, especially when you're playing a very tough, physical, defensive-minded team like the Grizzlies, and they showed that in Game 1. Now, are the Grizzlies going to sweep them? Are the Grizzlies going to play that well on defense each game of the series? I don't think so. 
But even with Donovan Mitchell coming back into the lineup, I think there are reasons to think that what happened in game one is not a fluke for Memphis. Um, that your defense travels well. Your defense is always going to be there, even on the road. Um, Jaron Jackson in game one had seven points and looked generally unplayable in the first half. Um, I don't think that's going to continue. That's something the Grizzlies can hang their hat on and say, hey, we were able to win game one, even though Jaron was a total non-factor for the most part. That is something that can change. The Grizzlies only made seven threes in the first game of the series. I think they are going to have at least one or two games where they make at least 12 to 15. And so you can point at things like that and say, hey, they just straight up outplayed Utah in game one, and it makes you feel good about their chances going forward. Yeah, I will say uh, coming off of that uh, post-practice availability call uh, that we had had Grayson Allen, Xavier Tillman, Jonas Valanciunas, and Taylor Jenkins uh, speak to the media. And both of them, or all four of them, stress the importance of defending the three-point line, especially since Utah is one of the more uh, three-point reliant NBA teams. And that's really how they got to that one seed. I mean, they're top four and three-point efficiency of 39% roughly, but they also fire at the uh, the highest clip of any team at 43 attempts for a game. They know that they're not going to miss that many open shots. They're not going to, uh, let's just say, they're not going to be making 12 of their 45 three-point attempts every single night. So they, they know and they've stressed that they're going to have to defend the three-point line a lot better. they got to contest on more of those three-point looks. And it's just one of those things where, I mean, granted, Donovan – you can look at this Donovan Mitchell returns like, okay, he's coming back after a month. Um, he's going to be rusty. It's been 17 games without him. You don't really know what he's going to do. But at the end of the day, Donovan Mitchell's an all-NBA talent. He's a three-level creator, and he's been shooting 38% on eight attempts a game. That's, that's elite. That's elite three-point shooting there. I don't care if it's below 40. Just the fact that if you're firing threes that often while making them – at above a league average clip, it makes you an elite volume shooter. And he's just another dynamic playmaker that they have. And now you're looking at the situation where the Grizzlies are not going to have a situation where they're facing a Utah Jazz team that doesn't have Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell on the floor. They're going to have one of the four, those two guys each time. That's going to be tough to defend. And I think one of the biggest things is it moves Joe Ingles to the bench and arguably a lot of uh, analysts out there thought that Joe Ingles should have won sixth man of the year instead of Jordan Clarkson. So, I mean, adding him back to the bench, and especially with uh, how spotty the perimeter defense has been off the bench, I mean, Grayson Allen's no defensive stopper, and DeAnthony Melton's been cold on both ends of the floor for the past month. So just what that dynamic does also, too, Utah's going to be pissed off. I mean, they got punked on their home court game one uh, from a physicality standpoint, from a trash talk standpoint. Just straight up, they, they lost the game. They're going to be pissed off. I and mean, Donovan Mitchell's pissed off after losing or after having to sit game one, um, even though his team of trainers cleared him to go. So there's that little rift. His teammates are pissed off that they sat their best player, their best offensive player, in game one, because let's let's be real, now it's winning time. You don't play the, the cute little, oh, we're trying to save his long-term health. It, it's time to win games, and they're going to come out with that extra edge. They're going to come out trying to throw a haymaker. So it's just going to be great to see how uh, we, they all respond. And uh, before we continue, I do want to welcome everyone to this locker room. 
we we have uh, Josh Allen. Sadly, not the uh, Bills quarterback, but <laughs> he he's still pretty pretty good at what he does. He's a uh, NFL and Buccaneers controlled writer and podcast host. Uh, and we also have some of GBB's own with us, uh, site manager Joe Molinax, associate editor Brandon Abraham, aka Mister Hustle, and we also had Mister Locker Room himself, Sean Coleman. So. If y'all if y'all feel like speaking your mind on game two, uh, just send a speaker request. We'd love to hear from y'all. But Nate, I, I do want to talk to you about the audacious Dylan Brooks and just let, let's just talk about a little bit just how he's kind of just burst onto the scene as just like this world class villain and just how this Donovan Mitchell return really just becomes like the spotlight of the series because you have this potential all defensive team guy, Dylan Brooks, who is now getting this attention as a two way player, but also it's why right up Dylan's wheelhouse of an all NBA talent that can score at multiple levels. A guy that actually had Dylan's number and the Grizzlies number all season long. So are you excited for this to be the spotlight of the series? Yeah, I am. And you brought up the point about how Donovan Mitchell coming back into the starting lineup is going to move Joe Ingles back to the bench. And Conley and the Utah Jazz availability was making the point about how they have to make Dylan Brooks take tougher shots, which for those of us who watched Dylan Brooks during his NBA career, we know he will have no problem rising to that challenge. But the underrated factor of that is that, yes, they will be able to stagger Conley and Mitchell where one of those two are always on the court. Now, I don't think Conley is going to play as well as he did in game one or every game of the series. He had 24 points and 11 assists. I don't think he's going to do that in game two. But the defense in Utah's starting lineup gets worse by taking Joe Ingles out of the starting lineup and putting Donovan Mitchell in there. And for a team that wants to try to get Dylan Brooks out of the rhythm and get him off the hot streak that he's been on, um, Dylan Brooks, it sounded like he was talking trash in the TNT postgame interview, but he was also being honest. They don't have the size to properly defend him on the wing. He is a big physical wing scorer, and really they just lack the personnel to properly match up with someone like him, even if there are plenty of players throughout the league who on a consistent basis do what Dylan does better than he does. But We've talked a long time about Dylan Brooks that every great team needs a player who thinks that they are better than they are, who carries themselves with that type of audacity, that type of swagger, and it's infectious. You can't even really put a tangible number on it for the type of impact that it has, but it's an infectious quality, and it infects the other members of your team with that same level of swagger, with that same level of toughness. And he has been as instrumental as anybody in the Grizzlies winning these pivotal games that they need to win. And so could Utah alter their scheme where Gobert is coming out farther away from the basket to try to take away the mid-range shots that Dylan Brooks has been thriving off of, that he wants to extend outside of his comfort zone and drop coverage? 
he's more than willing to do that. But by that adjustment in and of itself, you're taking Rudy Gobert away from his strength, his all-time strength, which is defending the rim. And we already saw what it happens when he has to get outside of his comfort zone. When he was playing with five fouls in game one, he looked like a deer in the headlights on the defensive end, for lack of a better way to describe it. So I don't think Dylan Brooks is really going to have to worry that much. Is he going to score 31 points on 50% shooting in every game of this series? Um, no, he will not. That means that Kobe Bryant, he will be the next iteration of Kobe Bryant if that were the case. That's not going to happen, but he's going to be able to continue to have a two-way impact on both ends of the court, thriving from the mid-range area, getting to the basket, and he's going to cause problems for that Utah defense because, again, they just lack the big wings to properly defend him. Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles are both solid defenders, but for someone like Dylan who really just prides himself on his physicality by how he gets to his spots, those guys are not going to be enough. They just aren't. And as far as the other end of the court, I know we've talked a lot about like the matchup data between Donovan Mitchell and Dylan Brooks, about how Donovan Mitchell shot seven of nine from the court against him the last time they played. I watched that game. There was a lot of contested pull-ups that Mitchell hit, and he's more than capable of hitting them. He's a great shot creator. He averaged 26 points per game this year. But at the same time, you know, you got to live with what great players do sometimes. I don't think there was any issue with how Dylan was defending him that Donovan is going to exploit and really take advantage of that matchup going into game two here. So I'm not that worried about it. Donovan Mitchell is a great player again. But it's tough to be gone from basketball between a month and a month and a half and get thrown right back into the heat of playoff basketball and expect to be dominant. That's a hard ask of anybody. And even LeBron James at this stage of his career has got to work himself back in, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And I don't think you're going to see Donovan Mitchell putting up any 50-point games like he did in the bubble in this series. Right, and now we got uh, Mr. Hustle, Brandon Abraham, up in the room. Brandon, what's up, man? Not much, Parker. You know what I'm doing? I'm just living the dream. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> what What are uh, What are some of your thoughts going into game two? Any kind of adjustments or uh, focuses that they need to make to make sure that they can steal one more game in Utah? Well, I, I'm really intrigued kind of, you know, what y'all been talking about a little bit is the, you know, obviously the Donovan Mitchell aspect of the game, um, the team and the pregame availability, like you were saying, Parker, you know, kind of expects him to come in and be 100%. Um, you know, how much rust does he have to shake off? And, you know, if that's the case, how does the, the rest of the team respond? Because I think we're going to see a pretty desperate, team in the Jazz tomorrow night just because of the circumstances with the game one loss because you know you can kind of shrug you know Sunday night off to uh, you know oh you know they just lost because they didn't have Mitchell it you know him being a late you know out was threw him off rhythm but you know if the Grizzlies come out you know tomorrow night and punch the Jazz in the mouth again and the Jazz struggle from distance again um, you know it Think they're going to get pretty desperate because, you know, Mike Conley knows better than anybody how crazy FedEx Forum can get. Um, you know, it's going to be wild. And if you have the Grizzlies, you let a young team like this get confident, it's only going to grow and get more and more dangerous for the Jazz. So it's, you know, almost a must-win game for them just to kind of come out and prove that, you know, hey, everything's fine. You know, like 
we're still, you know, the team that finished with the best record in the NBA. So I'm, I'm curious to see their level of desperation, um, you know, in tomorrow night's matchup and how Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, reinserts himself into the lineup after missing so much time. Yeah, Brandon, you mentioned the must win aspect of this. Um, this is the opportunity of this moment for Memphis. And yes, it's all gravy, especially after you win game one on the road. It's a tough ass to win those first two games on the road. And even coming into this series, there's this general sense that Memphis is just happy to be here, that whatever happens, it's all gravy. But this series is effectively over if Memphis wins game two. That's the opportunity that's at stake here. And, you know, if they lose game two and have to come home with 1-1, well, that's what we all wanted anyway. But you've got a chance to ice this, essentially. Because if they come home up 2-0, you have to think with the way momentum things are trending that the worst-case scenario, Memphis wins one out of two at home and they'd have a 3-1 lead, which it's been overcome a lot in recent years, but it's still a very imposing lead. So this series for Utah is really coming down to game two at home. And the great, the, the great thing about it is, as angry as they might be, is the energy that they're going to bring from the opening tip, that ball still got to go in the basket. All the energy and anger from Donovan Mitchell that he brings to the game, he has still been out of basketball between a month and a month and a half time. Um, that ball has still got to go in the basket. No amount of anger, no amount of energy is going to change that. And the Grizzlies, you would think that they're probably going to lose this game under the circumstances, but what they've done over the last week, I don't really put anything past them at this point. I really don't think it's extremely unlikely that they come in and shock the world again and come back to Memphis with a 2-0 lead. Yeah, we, we now got the, the locker room legend himself, host of the Lockdown Grizzlies podcast up in the speaker room with us. We got Sean Coleman. Sean, just kind of like lay out your thoughts going into game two, man. Pleasure. It's uh, this murderer's row, row of talent and uh, uh, just overall awesomeness. Well, two out of the three ain't bad. I'll let y'all determine who I'm going to consider the two. Uh, but Thank any- you. Yeah, you're welcome, Parker and Nathan. Anywho, um, the thing that I will say um, that uh, stands out to me from game one, and I I guess I'm going to take kind of the um, negative route here in, in that we certainly earned it, and it was wonderful to see how this Grizzlies team was able to still pull off a win. Even though they didn't have Donovan Mitchell, they were still able to pull off a win against a very talented Jazz team. But I agree with Nate in terms of the fact that in terms of the Grizzlies getting seven three-pointers and only producing 18 assists. It wasn't nearly that. Those were not nearly as impactful in this game because it was a lot more transition than many of us thought it would be. With Dylan Brooks in there, and as Parker mentioned, both him and Conley staggering ball handling duties in this game, I think it becomes more half-court oriented. And if that's the case, I don't think you're going to win many games against the Jazz with only seven threes and 18 assists. So that, it may have been a byproduct of the game flow, but the, I think we're going to have to see the 25-plus assists, the 12-plus threes from this Grizzlies team in order to be able to get where they need to go. And the way that we usually do that is by featuring more than 10 shots out of Bain, Grayson, and Melton. And besides Bain, Melton and Grayson have certainly struggled as of late. So if this becomes more of a half-court game, the, the, the ball movement and the ability to hit threes are going to be key. I certainly think we can win. I hope that we do, obviously. But I do think we're going to have to see some significant improvement in the ability to move the ball in half-court sets and be able to find find high-percentage threes, especially. 
Yeah, and you you touch on it right there, Sean. Is if the Grizzlies want to hang alive and kind of just give them one more punch going back into Memphis and keep up with that firepower that's going to be added when Donovan Mitchell comes back. It's going to come with revamping the offense, like you said, getting more than 18 assists and getting more than 23 points against Granite. Do I want them to be married to a three-point shot? No, like that that's not their game. Uh, they have the personnel to at least fire 30 and hit it. If they can do like 12 for 30, like that would be fantastic. And, I mean, I'm looking at the box score right now, and uh, granted, Grayson and Bain each made a three in this last game, but you can't have them combine for five three-point attempts. That's just not going to happen. Um, but I, I think, too, is, you know, they, they said they want to focus on um, getting Dylan to take tougher contested shots. Granted, that's been his MO since he's coming to the league. He always, he likes taking those tough contested shots. He practices those kind of shots. But like you said, Sean, it could open up some opportunity for some driving kick actions to the corner. And I wanna, I'm going to take a little bit of uh, the stats SAC route here. Among players who have shot 50 or more corner threes, Dylan Brooks is second in percentage. He shoots about 56.9% from three on the corner threes, only behind Seth Curry. So if they're going to take away that mid-range, they could be looking to get him going as a catch-and-shoot player, primarily in the corners. Granted, is Dylan Brooks the kind of guy you need to stick into a corner? No, he's the only big wing on the team that can create his own shot at three levels. But it could definitely be a weapon if the Grizzlies – or the Jazz, excuse me, uh, try to exploit Dylan Brooks's prowess in the mid-range. But they, they definitely need to try to get some more um, production from the three-point line. And Brandon, Sean, Nate, whichever one of y'all want to answer this, do, do y'all feel a, a D'Anthony Melton like bounce-back game coming in this series? I mean, he's struggled for like the past month, but surely – He's too good of a player to kind of just end the season like he's been, right? I'll just say real quickly that I mentioned this at the, at the end of the Lockton Grizzlies today. I did a whole segment over either Jaron or Melton having to step up. I think that's a great point. One of them, both of them great, but one of them are going to have to. They're basically using Jaron Jackson as a decoy right now, and that goes all the way back to the San Antonio game. And it's worked. Um, there's really no big reason to get away with it and start making Jaron a featured part of the offense, considering that they've been able to win these important games. But even with that in mind, Bojan Bogdanovic cannot guard Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, I thought the Grizzlies were going to start featuring him heavily when at the beginning of the second half, they immediately went into low post action and Jaron just got a quick turnaround layup against Bogdanovic in the low post. Um, he's going to explode here. It could be game two. It could be in the comfortable confines of the FedEx form. Um, Jaron is not going to be what he was in the bubble. I just think like at this stage of him coming back and his recovery, we can't expect that. But he's entirely too talented to look like he did in the first half because he, he was unplayable. He was literally unplayable, especially when they were playing him at the five with four guards next to him. Uh, Rudy Gobert made him look like a rag doll, made him look like he didn't even belong on the court during that portion. He's too good and too talented to look like that, and he's going to bounce back. Whether that's a consistent bounce back or he's going to have a game where he goes off for 30 and hits six threes, I don't know. But we can definitely expect more consistent production from him coming forward. 
Melton, I'm a little more skeptical about. I think he's going to play better than what he was, what he has been over the last month. But we started to see a trend from Melton that he seems to lose steam as the year goes along. We've seen that trend over the last two years now. But you got three guys who have really underperformed over the last few weeks. Jaron Jackson Jr., DeAnthony Melton, and Grayson Allen. Grayson has shown good signs of life over the last two games after a tough return to action against San Antonio. I think you're going to see Grayson and Jaron at the very least starting to really kick it into gear. I think you're going to see better perimeter shooting from Jaron. And Grayson has been solid over the last few games, and I expect that to continue. And that boost from the perimeter will definitely help Memphis match pace with Utah's firepower. Brandon, what about yourself? What do you think? Well, I think with the way Dylan's playing, I think, you know, way Jaw's playing, I think with the way that Valanchunas is able to get success against a guy like Gobert, you know, I don't think you need Melton to necessarily break out offensively as much as you do kind of need him to get going confidently on the defensive end. Again, y'all talked earlier about Joe Ingles being moved to the bench. So, you know, you've got, you know, Mitchell and Conley starting. That's going to be a tough defensive assignment. And then you've got Clarkson and uh, oh my gosh, uh, Clarkson and Ingles coming off the bench. And you know, so Bain's a solid defender. Grayson tries hard, um, but often gets beat off the dribble. And you know, so I think that's where Melton can kind of step up is um, on the defensive end. You know, he doesn't have to, you know poke away six steals like Kyle did the other night, but just, you know, kind of get comfortable defensively, you know, make some loose balls, you know, Mr. Do something's got to do something, um, create some fast breaks. Cause I think that's really where the Grizzlies did a good job was forcing the jazz into some turnovers and getting, you know, points in the fast break or like easier opportunities from mismatches from the turnovers. Uh, So I don't know if, you know, the Grizzlies necessarily need Melton to come out and have a, you know, six of eight shooting from three night more than they need, you know, him to kind of be more locked in defensively. Yeah, for sure. And so we're, we're about to wrap up here, but we got four speakers up in here. We also got uh, three others in the room. Uh, just I, I will start with Sean. Uh, I, I don't want to do like a win loss prediction. I don't, I don't want to bring any uh, reverse jinx or a jinx uh, kind of, Juju within the podcast, within the locker room, or anything. So, uh, Sean, start out with a uh, your one of your predictions for uh, tomorrow night's game against the Utah Jazz. Uh, five combined threes. No, not actually six combined threes between Grayson, Milton, and Bain fuels a one fifteen one hundred seven win for the Grizzlies. Oh, there we go. Well, Sean's going to be the one that jinxes all of us, and the Grizzlies are going to lose this game, but it's okay. Uh, Nate, what about yourself? I'm on a hot streak, man. I'm on a positive hot streak. Grizzlies going to win game two. They'll win 117 to 113. Jaron Jackson Jr. breaks out for 25 points. Again, with the jinxing. I said no jinxing, and we still got jinxing. All right, Brandon, what about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm going to get away from predicting the game, but I do think that Ja will be more of a facilitator uh, in game two than necessarily having to score a lot. I still think he'll probably 
get his points, but I think we'll see him, uh, you know, knock down a double double with points and assists. Was predict the score. Predict the. Sean, you were too busy talking. You didn't understand the rules of this were to not predict this. I apologize. I had other things that I had to take care of. (laughs) We're we're just uh, massive with you, Sean. No, I I didn't want to bring any reverse jinxing or jinxing into this. Uh, My my bold prediction here is I think one team, maybe both – won't crack the century mark. We may see a game in the 90s. And I think we'll also see Jonas Valanciunas get ten, uh, 20 points in 15 rebounds against the lord of the analytics, Rudy Gobert himself. He's just Are you saying t- that he's going to outplay Rudy Gobert in a significant way, Parker? That is absolutely what I'm saying. I may not be wanting any reverse jinx or bolt or um, – win-loss predictions, but any opportunity to slander Rudy Gobert is an opportunity that I will take. No amount of reverse jinxing is going to make Rudy Gobert into an impactful offensive player, so you just speak your truth, man. You speak the truth. Yes. uh, Go ahead. Jonas has stayed consistent against him. I'll give him that. I don't know if you're getting any 23-23 or more than 25-point games against Jonas in this series, but if he himself stays out of foul trouble, he's done really well getting those 12 to 15 points, 12 to 15 rebounds, and it's made a lot of difference. So I I agree. I think that um, Jonas kind of does a good job neutralizing Rudy Gobert. I know foul trouble did it the last game. Gobert still had his impact, but I think Jonas does neutralize Gobert a bit more. This is the last point I'll make, and then I'll be done. Uh, Rudy Gobert will probably not foul out of another game in this series. I think that was a fluke, but it wasn't a fluke in the sense of who it came against and the fact that he was struggling with Jonas's physicality. And even if he doesn't foul out of another game in this series, that is not going to change, I don't think. Absolutely. And um, that's about all the time we have. Uh, make sure you follow all these guys on Twitter at – BC Abraham at Nathan Chester 24 and at Sean or at stats at say C, excuse me. Follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Follow the podcast on Twitter at the core four podcast num- with the number four, not the word for uh, follow Grizzly Bear Blues on Twitter, SBN Grizzlies, read all of our written work over at grizzlybearblues.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast network on any of the podcast platforms you use to get every single episode of GBB Live, the Core 4 Podcast, 3 and D, and the Starting 5 Podcast. Happy late birthday, Brandon. Sorry, had to throw that in. Yes, happy belated to Mr. Hustle himself. Hope it was super jitty. And um, Nate, John, Brandon, whoever wants the honors, have the honors. We can all even do it in unison if y'all want to. All right, on three. One, One, two, two, three. three. That's That's all, all, folks. folks.